Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and otaku of all ages, this is NZ17 bringing you a brand new episode of ASO Radio. And joining me, as he often does, is DB3. What's up, guys? Hey, DB3. How you doing? Good, NZ. What's new, man? It's been a while since we've done one of these. Uh, I tell you, man, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening. Um, Last time we recorded a show was in 2014. I'd been trying to go and get one going last time in 2015. But just like this time, we encountered a lot of technical issues. And this episode itself has actually been delayed by a few weeks as we have to work with our schedules and recordings. But we're finally recording ASO Radio episode number 132. Which is funny because originally we tried to record ASA Radio episode number 132 exactly four years ago on August 8th, 2015. This time we're actually making it happen, even if we're having to use the call-in option on TalkShoe to actually speak. (laughs) Yay, TalkShoe! Way to leave the Java behind. Yeah, well, you know, at least there's the call-in option, and, you know, it's, uh, it's good that it's there, and maybe we'll use it one day for a call-in episode for the fan mail part. We've got a lot of stuff to uh, review and talk about today, and so since we never got the original 132 recorded four years ago, I just decided to reuse the episode number and combine the things that we were going to record on that episode into this episode. And so there'll be extra content, and it will all be good. And I should mention, before we get started on the next segment, which is the anime review, that it's actually been 20 years of ASO Radio. 20 years. We're almost old. ASO Radio is almost old enough to drink, legally. Yeah, it's old enough to be an adult that can vote and drive and drink in Japan. Nice. That's the only place it really matters is in Japan. All right. So, um, yeah, 20 years. It was 1999 on August 13th when we recorded the first episode of Vesa Radio, which was just me at the time. And then the second episode finally got T-Man 777 on there. And then it wasn't too many episodes later, might have been the third or fourth episode, that our good friend Z-Guy showed up, who unfortunately neither one of those uh, swell guys will be with us this time. But as you know, I am being joined by DB3, which joined much later after various uh, you know, featured co-hosts and temporary co-hosts. But you know, you have a special distinction, DB3. What's that distinction, sir? You have actually been on more episodes of ASO Radio than any other co-host. Really? That is pretty cool. Yes, I never knew that. You are officially the most dependable co-host. <laughs> Yay! Now, on um, this episode, we've got two anime reviews. We've got a video game review, and we've got a special section for the hot spot. So if you're ready, DB3, shall we get to them? Let's go. Let's do this. All right, then.
Okay, so for our reviews, we're going to start first with Agretzko, also known as Agretsuko, if you want to go and pronounce everything out, or Aggressive Retsuko. So, uh, DB3, why don't you introduce us to, uh, well, first of all, I will say that I have watched all of season one, plus the Christmas special, and all of season two. DB3, how much of this show have you managed to watch? I finished season one, and I have like two episodes left in season two. Okay, good. So you're well prepared. And you didn't watch the Christmas special, right? I did not watch the Christmas special. Yeah, I don't know why Netflix listed the Christmas special as a separate listing on Netflix instead of with the rest of the episodes from the rest of the seasons, but it's a... An odd choice, but one for people to keep in mind if they're interested in viewing this program. And part of the reason that I mention Netflix is because Netflix is actually the publisher of Agretzko. It uh, paid the bill to have it created. So if you want to watch it, at least as of 2019, the only way you can see it is via Netflix. I mean, legitimately see it. I'm sure that there are shall we say, gray and black areas of the Internet where you could see this without paying for net, you know, <laughs> uh, Netflix. But let's just focus on above-board options. You so know what? I'm pretty, uh, yeah? I was going to say, I'm quite impressed with all the anime Netflix is getting on. The net, it's getting on to Netflix. Like, there's quite a bit. Yeah, there is quite a bit of uh, anime and uh, non-anime programs on Netflix. So while I can't vouch for the quality in all the cases, I can say as far <laughs> as pure numbers go, they've got a lot. Yeah, that's true. They do have a lot. Um, well, DB3, would you be kind enough to go and introduce us to the, the premise and the story of this show? Yeah, so when we're talking about Agretzku, uh, the thing that probably is, the way that I related it to my wife when I was talking to her about it, it's sort of like the office meets heavy metal rock. Um, so you have this this character, um, her name is Retsuku, and she is an accountant and in a firm, and she, it's just all about her daily life and how she goes about it. But as in a lot of office situations, there's always that one person who always gets dumped on, and that's our friendly rescue. And to deal with all the stress and all the frustration she does, she goes and rocks out to death metal. And it's about, it's sort of like a slice of life, just how she goes about her days and how she reacts to everything. Yeah, Retsko has a lot of different sources of... Um workplace and non-workplace frustrations and irritations, doesn't she? She does. Like, her boss, the, the director, Ton, uh, she has mm-hmm. that Subani. What was Subani? What, what, what kind of animal was she? Is she a, um, like a reptile? Who, who, oh, oh, right. She was a lizard. The one who always had her open the jars. Right, right. The one with the stuck pickle jars that she would have people yeah. open as a challenge. Uh, yeah, she's a lizard. All right. You also had her mom, who's always, well, at least in season two, you had her mom trying to hook her up, get her married. 
You had right with uh, arranged marriage meetings. Uh huh. You had, uh, I think his name was Kumaya, who was like the brown noser in the office. Yeah, Sunoda, who always wasn't so much a brown noser, but like a suck up. And she would always go up to Director Tan, the boss, and be like, oh, hi, and just like flatter him. And to get, get out of doing work, it seemed to get dropped on rescue. Um, but yeah, she had a lot of different things going on. It was quite fun to see her, how, how she would react to those things. Thankfully, though, Retsuko has a couple of friends. She has Hayata the hyena, uh, who has a crush on her, as well as her friend Fenico, who, as the name might indicate, is a fennec, which is a type of small fox. Um, and so in this workplace, um, Retsuko goes and finds her stress relief by going to a karaoke box place where she rents it out for herself to go and belt out death metal as a form of stress release. And when I was in Japan, I actually saw many of these karaoke box places that uh, you could go to. And it was funny because almost everywhere in Tokyo would be closed by about 9 o'clock, but the karaoke box places would stay open until about 2 a.m. Wow, 2 a.m. So um, I guess, like, I can't imagine karaoke being that popular, but I guess it is if it, they're staying open that late. Oh yeah, karaoke super popular over in Japan, or as we should be saying it, karaoke. But you know, most people in America don't say it that way. So as an introduction, karaoke is karaoke. Um, but yeah, so it's a pretty good show. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but some, uh, let's see, some of the frustrations that Gretzko faces, her boss keeps going and piling on the work, uh, starts giving her a nickname because he says that her days are numbered. Um, then her immediate supervisor is also trying to go and pile on the work. And then you've got all the gossipers around the office and people that are meddling with her personal life. You've got the talkative hippo that's always going and telling everybody about everybody else's stuff that she's heard through rumors. And um, all in all, takes to the karaoke place as her secret way of uh, venting her frustrations. But then she makes some unexpected new friends. Am I right? Yeah. In the name of Washimi and Gori. That's right. Gori is a gorilla. And Washimi is a crane. Mm-hmm. And they're the, they're the like the high class secretary, like of like the, the CEO of the company. Right, exactly. They're very high ranking women in the company, and um, they uh, have quite a lot of sway. And so she looks at them as being her cool senpai. Um, and uh, amazingly for herself, she ends up actually befriending them, and eventually they end up learning the secrets of the karaoke box heavy death metal uh, stress relief. Am I right? That's actually probably one of my favorite episodes is when, when that all goes down. Like she, she's like, I have to – let's go in her stress. She's like, I know. I can get married so that way I don't have to work. And to get, to get cute, she decides to go to a yoga place where she meets these two. And just, just their interaction, how they befriend each other, and how they find out, that is probably one of my favorite episodes of the whole series. 
Like I was just dying. It was so funny. Yeah, so I'd say that the whole key to things, without spoiling too much, the whole key to things really is protein. <laughs> yes, protein is definitely the thing um, that helps. So now, because this is reviewing basically two and a half seasons of the show, with season one and the Christmas special in season two, I don't want to say too much about um, what happens in the Christmas movie and what happens in the second season, but we are going to talk some about that. And so with the Christmas movie, it basically picks up right after season one. Um, it's Christmas time, and in Japan, Christmas time is kind of a, a two-sided thing. You've got the thing for little, little kids where you've got Santa Claus and you've got presents, and it's somewhat similar to the West. And then you have the other aspect of Christmas where it's seen as a very romantic time of year that's for couples. So everybody is looking to go and find a date for uh, Christmas, and this includes one of uh, Retzko's annoyances from the office. Um, she's a deer, and she's willing to kiss butt to go and make progress in whatever way she's attempting to make progress, from promotions to getting out of work to finding information. And so she's giving Retzko advice on what to do because Retzko has discovered Instagram the picture arm of Facebook and has been posting pictures online um, of her meals and her drinks and other things um, because she's getting addicted to all of the comments and the likes and the online attention from social media, which funny enough, as an intentional part of the real world, if you pay attention to that episode and you go to that Instagram account, you can actually see all of the pictures featured in that movie. So really? I thought that, that was, uh, yeah, I thought that was a good bit that's, of augmented reality marketing right there. That's a nice little touch. Um, yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. And um, like I said, I don't want to spoil too much, but let's just say Gori and Washimi, that's her name, right? Yeah. They're both in the movie. Uh, Fenico's in the movie. And Hayata's in the movie. And Hayata, the hyena friend of uh, Retzko, plays a very significant role in the Christmas movie. And after that, we got ourselves season two. So, DB3, why don't you tell us a bit about the story of season two? Uh, well, season two, um, the the mom shows up. Well, it starts with her with Retsuko waking up in like her dirty apartment, and the mom calling like, "Hey, I, I need to know you're making taking care of yourself." Like, you know how moms usually care about their kids, um, but this is like mm-hmm. an overly overly caring mother who has to be a part of her child's life. So she ends up showing up and trying to hook her up um, with different people and different people, and. Just the chaos that ensues with her trying to find out what she really wants. She also has. Um, I liked the part there in uh, the first few episodes where, and this is a really funny part, um, she thinks that her apartment has been broken into by a criminal. 
and she's very worried and very freaked out. And as it turns out, it was not a criminal. It was her mom, but she'd already called the police. And so she apologized to the police and said, you know, that it wasn't um, a real emergency and things were okay. And then her mom revealed that she had made a copy of Retzko's apartment key and Retzko told the cops to arrest her mom. I thought that was a really hilarious joke. Yeah, that that was pretty good. The the other part of the season is with her training a new, just freshly graduated employee, Anai, and how he goes about trying to frame her for the the way he perceives she's discriminating against him. Yeah, he's a super creepy dude. <laughs> he is. He is. It's it's sort of funny. Like one instant he's all chill, and you're like, oh, this is a pretty good guy. And the next, his eyes are bloodshot, and he's going crazy. Yeah, and he's trying to, like, record everything and gather, like, tons of evidence to show to the boss and stuff. And uh, so he's basically trying to blackmail everyone because he can't handle the workplace. Yeah. Um, And so they start to try to deploy the other... Uh, people from the workplace to use their strengths against him, but uh, they get summarily uh, repelled through his uh, neurotic uh, blackmailing and he wants everything in writing and recorded and stuff manners. But there is somebody else who gets introduced in this particular season um, as Retzko decides to go and get her driver's license. How about you tell everyone about that, DB3? I actually haven't finished the series, series so I don't quite rem- I don't know how the end of that goes, so I don't know if you want me to... I'll just introduce the, uh, the characters of the DMV and uh, um, what their personalities are like and what they seem to uh, foretell. All right. Well, when she shows up, um the second oh uh, we got deadly silence um so yep. i'll just fill the air while dv3 takes care of that uh basically when retzko goes to get her driver's license you got to go through the training you got to take the classes all that stuff that's required in japan which is actually quite expensive Um, and she happens to, uh, keep making appointments with this, uh, dog lady that sits at the desk handling these things, who seems, shall we say, encouraging, but, uh, distant as, you know, the workplace goes over at the DMV. But there's also a purple donkey guy that keeps showing up to take driving lessons, but he doesn't seem to be making progress very quickly. That's right. And he's basically kind of a um, a hoodie-wearing kind of casual guy that's a bit of a slacker. And so um, Gretzko at first isn't sure about the guy, but eventually they become friends, and so they decide to start hanging out. And this is also an important part of the story in Season 2. So DB3. Having watched through season one and season two, although not completing season two yet, 
Um, what do you think is the stronger of the two seasons? I think I enjoyed season one just a little bit more. Um, season two hasn't really left me... Um, uh, well, season one uh, didn't offer any solutions, but it did leave me content with how it ended up. Season two so far is, is fun. It's just not up to the same level. Yeah, I thought that season one was better focused and stronger and resonated better, whereas season two seemed to be like, uh, I mean, I get and respect that they were trying to run with basically multiple different plot lines from Retzko's uh, intermingling, uh, interfering mother, as well as the psycho new guy at the office, as well as the guy that she meets at the DMV and the repercussions of all of these things. But at the same time, it felt like it was trying to do too much with the amount of time they had allotted. I feel like season one was more like things I, things I imagine like women could re- relate to more a little bit more, things that they could identify with. Two, it seemed more like personal – season two seemed more like a personal journey and how she was getting through it. Yeah, to me, season one seemed like it was really well done and well contained, whereas season two, they weren't really sure where to go next as uh, Redsko had resolved a lot of her, her stress and stress relief as she had made new friends. Her secret was no longer a secret, so it wasn't as important to keep it hidden. Uh, about the karaoke um, and that she had basically kind of gone on her journey and made peace with things. And then season two was kind of like, well, we had season one and then we followed up that with the movie. And so Retzko is still, you know, at the office. She's still not married. And so what else can we do with this? And so people kind of threw out ideas and then they made a season two. And I think part of the problem is, these seasons are super short. Well, the whole episodes are, are pretty short. So they're trying to pack a lot of information in a little bit of time. And then, like you said, the seasons aren't that long. So they're trying to get in yeah. as much information as they can as quickly as they can. Yeah, each season is only like 8 to 10 episodes, and each episode is only like 11 minutes or something. And yeah. I did the math at one point, and one season of a Gretzko runs about half as long as a normal anime season runs. So it's really trying to do a lot of stuff in a small amount of time. And so it's almost like if you watch it, it kind of feels like it's over before it's really begun. Because if you watch it, it's just about the length of about 150 minutes so it's like watching a short movie. It is. Um, so I can, I can before we, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say I can definitely relate to like it just being like a short movie, especially on Netflix where it's just it can just keep going without it stopping. So what did you think about the music in this show? Well, I'm not a huge fan of the of the metal, like. It's not something I'm really into, but mm-hmm. um, it, I think it fit well with what it was trying to do. Like it was at first, I was like, "Oh, 
But by the end, I was like, like there was one, the one episode where they're having the community party or the, the office party and the, her boss, Ton, was like rapping about her and telling how, how bad she is. And she breaks out in that, like in her heavy metal. That was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, speaking of which, um, when you watch this show, did you watch it uh, subbed in uh, with English subtitles and Japanese speech, or did you watch this um, with the English dub? I would go back and forth. So some episodes I'd watch in English, and some I'd watch in Japanese with the subtitles. And what made you decide uh, to go one way or the other on that? Uh, well, mostly it's because I knew we were going to be reviewing it. But when I when I watched something, like when we were long time ago, when we went to um to the anime convention here in Denver, we we were talking with some of the the voice actors, and they talked about how when you're watching like an action or a serious one, it's better to go with like a with the actual Japanese. And they're talking about oh, with the comedic ones, they have that freedom to have their own voices. So I tried to see which one I would like more. And did you decide if you liked one more than the other? I couldn't see I liked one more than the other. They were both quite, quite well done. Um, if I had, like there are some characters that I think I liked more in one than the other, but in general that was just specific characters. But with an overall look, I enjoyed them both. Oh, all right. Well, that's good to know. Um, so if you were going to recommend to somebody uh, who was interested in the show, um, would you tell them to pick the English dub or would you tell them to pick the Japanese dub? Uh, I think it would depend. Um, if I know they're more, in, if, they're, if they're into anime, I might just recommend them to watch the Japanese. If, it's, if they're newer to, to it, the that the style of show i might tell them to watch the english just to help them bridge that gap yeah um i thought that they did a good job with both the the sub and the dub um both of them were really high quality in terms of both translation as well as the acting in the english and the acting in the japanese and i think either one is worth recommending there are some differences for example director tone He'll uh, refer to Retsuko as calendar in one of the dubs, but in the other language, he'll refer to her as short timer. And that's just one of the differences that I noticed. However, I think you can't really go wrong with either one on this show. Very and true. as They're far as the great. music goes, I thought that the music in this was really good because you have the, the heavy metal, like BB3 mentioned, but you also have the regular background music. And I found that that background music was really addictive and that after watching the show, the music would be going through my mind for the next few days. Uh, it's kind of got a light, upbeat kind of tone to it. Um, no pun intended with Mr. Uh, director <laughs> tone there. Um, but it's got kind of a quirky, upbeat thing. It's got the whole dial tone music when like, Let's go where someone is experiencing a disconnect. It's like burr and that's part of the music. Um, and then you've got kind of the more soulful moments 
where it's kind of got the sad music, as well as having some pretty good uh, songs where there's actually singing, like a, a pretty funny song in season one where it's this duet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, so that was, that was a pretty funny song. And then you've got the director Tone's rap, which was pretty funny. Um, and then in season two, you also had his ugly daughters. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> they, they look a lot like their dad. Um, and I thought that the sound effects were pretty good in this thing. You know, nothing really stood out as being particularly cringy or something that really detracted. I thought all of the sound effects fit things well and seemed like they really matched the visuals. I would agree with all speaking, your statements. Well, thank you. And speaking of which, what did you think of the visual design of the show, the character designs, the graphics design, the backgrounds? You know, I've never really been a fan of this type of the style. Like, a lot of, like, I know when my, when my, bro, when my brother talked about the show, he talked it being like uh, Animal Crossing. And it's just not an art style that I've ever really been a huge fan of. But I, like, after watching this, it's something I grew accustomed to. Like, it wasn't something that just turned me off like it, us- it used to. So, like, I, I was quite fond of it. And that, I think that says something. If you can take someone who, a person who generally doesn't like that, and you would usually just keep flipping the channel or go to find something else, and it's like, yeah, that, that's pretty good. You know, it, you know it has a little bit of, a flair to it. Yeah, I thought that the visual style really could be described as a combination of heavy metal meets Animal Crossing. It really could. Or another analogy that I thought of is that it's like if you took uh, the WarioWare series and you mixed it with Animal Crossing. And that's (laughs) pretty much the character design you get. That would be a very good description. All right, so before we go and uh, pass final judgment on this, giving the show either a not recommended, a neutral, a recommended, a highly recommended, or a top recommendation, let's go and talk about the age appropriateness of this show. Uh, Because, you know, some people, they might be sensitive to certain things. Other people might have kids they might want to watch the show with, but they're not sure. So, DB3, what do you say as far as the appropriateness of this show? Uh, I, think, I think people are, would, would see the animation style and be like, oh, that's totally something for my kids, like my, my young kids. However, I wouldn't watch it with my young girls. I'd probably wait until they're at least 10, 11, 12 before I'd start to. Because there's, there's, there's like vulgarity in it. And I just, that's not something I, I'm prone to let my girls 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 watch maybe if i had a son i'd be more willing to watch them but after mm-hmm. after about i'd say definitely age 12 um i'd probably be willing to let my daughter decide for herself if this is something she'd want to watch as for myself i would say that this show is more or less good for all ages as db3 pointed out there is some vulgarity but mostly that's in the form of shall we say synonyms for feces um, and it really doesn't happen all that much. And if you watch it in the English, that's pretty much where it is. If you watch it subtitled in Japanese, 
you're not going to actually encounter those words as that was part of the liberties taken with the localization. So I'd say that if you were watching with someone and it was in the Japanese, I'd say probably ages eight and up. Uh, if you were watching it uh, in English, then maybe like DB3 said, ages 10 and up. And see, I, I so would DB... agree with that. But, uh, but I do have the sites. When watching it, uh, something with subtitles as an eight-year-old, I know that my daughters have always lost interest. Mm. Like, I'm, I want to watch the show. I don't want to have to read it to know what's going on. Yeah, I know what you mean. My, uh, my sister, she's 33 years old. And um, she doesn't like watching things subtitled because the uh, words fly by too quickly. Yeah, I, and so I, I agree with your assessment. I just don't know if an eight-year-old would sit and read it. Right, right. Well, that is a good point. I was just more concerned with the age appropriateness than the speed. But you're right. That's part of the considerations, too. Yeah. So DB3, so, now that we've mm-hmm. uh, said all of that, um, if you have any more to say about the age appropriateness, go right ahead. But otherwise, uh, why don't you go ahead and render your verdict? I would probably, for, uh, do, do you want me to do it as a series altogether? Is the season one and two separate? What do you want, me, what do you want Enzi? Um, I think it's A-OK if you review seasons one and two with a separate score. As long as people right. keep in mind that uh, you're reviewing season two up to like, let's say, 75% of the way. All right. For season one, I'd give it a highly recommended. Uh, it's just a fun series that you, you get into, and it, it's hard to put it down once you get going. It's, it's a lot of fun. Season two, I'd probably just give it a, a recommendation, uh, at least as far as I've seen. It just, I don't know, I, like I said, it's harder for me to, to relate to it. Yeah, I know what you mean there. Um, I also thought the show uh, was better in the first season. And um, the Christmas movie was quite good, too. Although, once again, uh, the problem there is brevity. It just seems to get over so fast. And I think part of that is because um, I really enjoyed the show. Um, At the same time, though, Season two, while I enjoyed it, it just wasn't up to the same quality as seasons uh, one and the movie. So I would say that season one is along the lines of a highly recommended. Season two is just recommended. And the Christmas movie would be a uh, highly recommended, which, by the way, if someone was to watch just the Christmas movie separately, I think that that would probably be good for anyone of any age, really. So I think that with mind. that, uh, we pretty much uh, uh, you, finished you, you up actually, this show. Actually, Enzi, you actually need to go and actually give your recommendation. But but I just did. Highly recommended, you, highly recommended, and oh. just recommended. All right. I apologize, then. <laughs> but no, no worries, DV3. No worries. Uh, we're rusty at this, after all. It's been half a decade. So next up, I'm going to review a show called Fatima Inverted. DB3, you have not seen the show, correct? I have not. Okay. Well, that's all right, because I am going to review this for the both of us. Yay. So I'm going to review it for me, and DB3 can make comments or ask questions at any time in case there's need for clarification. 
Sounds now, like a plan. It's been a few years since I've watched this show. That's reflected in the fact that originally I was going to review this in 2015. However, Patima Inverted is a very good show, and so good, in fact, that I thought that I should still review it. Now, when I watched this, I watched it uh, with a bilingual release. If memory serves me right, I rented it through Amazon Prime for $3. Um, And uh, both the English and the Japanese are quite good in this show. Uh, It's a movie. Uh, I'm not too terribly long. I thought it was a pretty good length. Uh, The story basically goes is that there's these people and they're living underground. And they go um, upward in the world in order to basically scavenge things to find uh, old technology or food or other things to keep them safe and alive. And there appears to be two different worlds, the underground world and the surface world. And uh, long ago, there was a, uh, uh, I think it's maybe like 100 or 200 years ago, there was a cataclysm that caused the uh, surface to grow to be uninhabitable because it was poisonous, like radiation or something like that. So the people went underground. Well, after some time, the people that went underground uh, uh, form two factions. One decided to try to survive back on the surface and the other decided to stay underground. Well, along the way, the two um, basically turned into two different uh, types of humans. Um, now, they look the same and they talk the same, but the difference is one tends to use technology more than the other, and the other difference is they have gravity that's the opposite of each other. So down is up and up is down, depending on who you are. So uh, that's why the show is called Patima Inverted, is both the gravity direction, but also the fact that the main character's name is Patina. Patima. She makes friends with a boy from the surface world, and both of them are curious about each other's world, but for various historical reasons, both of them are basically for, forbidden from messing with the other world. Well, the surface world ends up finding out that contact was made with the people from underground, and the guy that's in charge of the service world decides that he's going to wipe out those people from the underground. So he tries to lead an invasion. Um, lots of stuff goes down as the various forces conflict. And without saying too much, things get turned topsy-turvy several times as they, as they find out there might be more to their world than just this duality of A and B, and that what's up might be what's down, and everyone might have things forward or they might have things backwards, and the story keeps flipping things on the viewer so as to leave you guessing both literally and figuratively as things flip one way or the other. And the two characters, the two main characters, uh, they end up falling for each other, both literally and figuratively. Um, (laughs) And they discover that there's a lot more to the surface world than anyone had been allowed to know. And they found the remnants of a previous expedition by the underground world to the surface world and the things that got left behind and the things that got discovered that were hushed up 
back in the day due to what might have been um, people just dying or perhaps people being killed. So um, it really leaves you interested and on the edge of your seat trying to find out what's going to happen next. There's some really sweet and tender moments throughout the show, um, but none of it is overly heavy-handed. Um, and the characters are very endearing, and the bad guys are suitably bad. Um, but even though the bad guys are a bit less multidimensional than I would like, at the same time, they all have good reasons for their individual motivations and actions. Uh, the music was really sweeping and fit the emotions of the sh uh, story very well, and I thought was one of the highlights of the show, along with the graphics, which at times were very stunning. It had uh, very high quality and endearing character designs, and it had very striking backgrounds where the um, backgrounds would have these really beautiful combinations of yellow light and blue light and sunsets and things. Um, and at times the show could even be a little bit scary, especially as the bad guy was being really aggressive in trying to find the information that he wanted or tracking people down. Um, all in all, the voice acting was really great for both the English and the Japanese. I didn't think you could go wrong with either one. Although at times I wish that the um, dub would have been louder with the voice acting as it was often a little too quiet, in my opinion. Uh, so you might want to keep that remote handy to dial up the sound at times. And finally, the age appropriateness. I would say that this show is uh, good for most ages. There is um, some uh, kissing in the show. Um, doesn't last for too terribly long or anything, and it's done in a sweet way. But I'd say that it's probably one of those shows that's probably better for kids that are around 9 or 10 years old. Um, uh, the scary scenes might be a little too scary if they're younger than 10, and they might be like, ew, kissing, or uh, something of the like. So all in all, uh, Patima Inverted was a very good show. I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I give it a highly recommended. Sounds like it's something okay. that I'm interested in. Well, I'm good to hear that. And now it's time for our hot spot. This episode, we're going to have two things. Um, first, we're going to review a game for the Nintendo 3DS. And then we're going to talk about Japan and my trip to it that I took one year ago this month. Um, first of all, DV3, we got a video game review here. And so I'm wondering, do you own a Nintendo 3DS? I do not own a 3DS. For shame, I DV3. I know, I own a, D, a DS, but I have not, I haven't ever upgraded Oh, yeah, and so you bad. know how Buenos the DS is. Uh, well, I know what I know. What do you play your video games on these days, DV3? Actually, if I play, I play a lot on my my Nintendo Mini. Uh, the NES Classic. Uh huh. Ah, I see. I see. Um, 
Well, that's a okay. Um, because the next question was, have you owned or played Pushmo? But I think I can guess the answer to that one. That would be a no, sir. Okay. Well, Pushmo is what we would have called DSiWare or WiiWare back in the day. But on the 3DS, Nintendo stopped calling things 3DSware or the other names if they were download only. But it's worth stating that Pushmo is a download only game for the Nintendo 3DS. It was developed by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo. This game was originally released several years ago. And back in the day, I had basically no interest in it. It seemed to be a lame um, 3D puzzle game, and I didn't like the art style, and so I skipped the game back then. But apparently it sold well enough where they made two sequels, and eventually when either the second game or third game was released, they had a sell on the first game, and so I finally said to myself, okay, fine, I've heard people talk a lot of good about this game, I'll give it a try. So I bought the game, and I downloaded it, and I played it on the 3DS. First thing, I have to say, they definitely made this game with the stereoscopic 3D feature of the 3DS in mind, as just like Super Mario 3D Land, they chose an angle that would show off the 3D really well. Unfortunately, just like Super Mario 3D Land, choosing such an angle is not very conducive to the actual gameplay, as something from a higher up angle would have made it easier to play. But it is what it is. And even though it makes a lot of use of the stereoscopic 3D, it still goes and plays well when you're playing it in 2D mode, either with the slider all the way off or playing on one of the 2DSs, which supports 3DS games, but not the 3D stereoscopic visuals. The way that the game works is there's basically a tower, and each tower you're trying to get to the flag. Now, the story varies a little bit from game to game, but basically you're a young guy that's been entrusted at getting to the flags on all of these stages because you're rescuing children or you're getting to the flag or whatever. The story is not very deep and there's not much to it, so don't worry about it. It's not, it's not significant at all. As a matter of fact, the uh, game wasn't even dubbed into English because there's like such little in the way of speaking that it's more or less just emotes or sound effects. So that's not even really a concern. But what you're doing is, is you're taking these towers and you're sliding parts of them forward or backward to try to develop stairs for the main character to traverse up and down to eventually get to the flag at the top of the tower. So you'll slide them backwards and forwards like dresser drawers, and that way you can move like maybe the level one is all the way forward and then level two is one back and then level three is two back and level four is three back. But the next level has to be one forward so that you can get on the next thing to drop down in order to go around and get up and then climb to the top of the tower. So um, as far as the character design goes, uh, pretty much everything here is your usual archetypes. You got the wise old man that goes and gives you the tutorial You've got the young, brave boy that's on this journey to stop the mildly bad, bad guys from doing their mildly bad things. Um, and honestly, everybody's character design reminded me of what if the British guys that designed the Teletubbies designed sumo wrestlers? 
Because pretty much every character looks like a sumo wrestler if it was a Teletubby. The music is pretty lame and forgettable. Like I said, the voice acting and sound effects are serviceable, but they're not very strong either. All in all, the graphics are very bright and very colorful, but it's not something to really write home about. Uh, it is very age-appropriate, though. I mean, this thing would be like as, good, as long as somebody's brain is advanced enough to go and handle solving puzzles, that this game would be a-okay for them. Um, and there's quite a bit of content to it, lots of puzzles to solve. Uh, it's broken up into different sections, and you progress through them. But at the same time, I thought that the controls could have been a bit better. As sometimes I'd push a button expecting it to do one thing, and then it's like, oh, no, you're supposed to be using, I don't know, the A and B buttons, and you can't use X and Y or whatever. Um, all in all, um, I guess that it's priced right if you buy it on sale, but I wasn't a very big fan of this game, as I'm sure listeners can tell. And so all in all, I have to give Pushmo for the Nintendo 3DS a neutral. It's a pleasant way to go and spend some time, but it wasn't a very engaging game that kept me wanting to return to more, wondering what's going to happen next in the almost non-existent story. So, yeah, Pushmo gets a neutral from me. So, DB3, um, now for the final part of this episode, we're going to go ahead and talk about my trip to Japan in 2018. Now, DB3, as a bit of a, a back information, have you now or ever been to Japan? I have not. Okay. Now, um, have you ever been overseas before? I've been to the Bahamas. Um, and have you been anywhere <laughs> else, say, on your mission or uh, other places that are international? No, no, can't say I have. Ah, okay. Well, I have to say that this was quite the good trip. And DB3 and I will be referring to the photographs that I took throughout my journey. Um, now, there probably won't be enough time to go over my whole trip, but we'll try to make it through uh, several days uh, before we run out of time to record tonight. Now, DB3, are you looking at the first day's photographs? I am. Well, before, before we, we start that, what, what initiated this, this trip to Japan? Was it just the desire... Like, I know you've always loved the Japanese and the culture. Like, what initiated you to finally go and do this? Well, that's a very good question, DB3. And the answer to that is that uh, for a long time, ever since I was a teenager at least, I've been wanting to go and visit Japan. And then once I started to get into my late teens and early 20s, I decided I wanted to move to Japan. But, of course, it's expensive to move, especially when you're moving that far away and to a culture that's as different as it is from ours and such a radically different way of writing and reading and speaking, uh, not to mention uh, just such a huge different culture that, uh, as of yet, I have not managed to move as a permanent resident of Japan, but I hope still to move there one day. 
However, part of the way of getting there is not just meeting all the requirements for getting a visa, but also getting hired. And so one of the things that really stands out to the people that do the interviewing for places that hire foreigners is whether you've been to Japan before or not. And one of the easiest jobs to get as a fluent native speaker of English is teaching for a company that teaches English for uh, Japanese people. Uh, reason being is you're already fluent, you already know how to speak it well, quickly, naturally, and you have all of the reading, writing, and um, speaking and listening skills that are important for teaching the language. So all you really might need is some refreshers on the terms for the grammar and sentence structure. And after that, you're good to teach at English conversation clubs. You're good to teach at uh, elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. Uh, you're good to teach at Aikaiwa. All of these are different uh, jobs, which all basically boil down to teaching English in one way or another. So I thought of going to Japan as a way of saying, well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Interviewer, I have to, been to Japan before, and I was there for several weeks, and I learned all sorts of valuable things that would help me in my day-to-day -day life if you were to hire me to work in Japan. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. You see, when you move to Japan, whether it's short-term or long-term, you need to have a visa. Now, you can stay there for up to three months if you're just there on a tourist visa, or if you're on the special list like Canada and the UK and a few other former British colonies as well as a few other signatories to this international agreement, you can go there on a working holiday which entitles you to live and work in Japan for up to 12 months. But wow. if you're not on the special list and you're like America, you only get to stay up to three months on a tourist visa and while you're there, you're not allowed to work. As a matter of fact, technically, you're not even allowed to uh, submit applications or go to interviews or try to get hired, but uh, a lot of people do that anyways, and they just manage not to get in trouble. And there's not a lot of enforcement because, after all, you'd have to have, like, someone following around all the tourists all the time. So a lot of people will go there on vacation, then they'll submit applications and uh, go to interviews, eventually get hired, then fly back to America, get their work visa, and then fly back to Japan. But for Alex myself, I was, yeah, uh, I was going there uh, as a combination of making my resume look good for the future, as well as also just having wanted to go there for decades and finally being able to afford to. It sounds like and a good background. That was, uh, what was that? I was going to say that sounds like a good background. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it is a long trip, even if you are flying. So um, a little background, where I live, it's northeastern Utah. And so unfortunately, unlike if you're living in a big city or state capital where you can just fly straight to Los Angeles um, or Denver or anywhere else in the United States, and your airport happens to also be an international airport so that you can fly to other countries, no problem. No, instead, I have to first fly over to Denver, then have a layover, then go to Japan. So it was like 
I would say 15 hours and that's not including the layover or the time flying to Denver. That's just from Denver to Japan. So if you're flying from, say, Los Angeles International Airport, it's a much better trip because it's like only 12 hours and it's significantly cheaper. <laughs> but when you're flying out of a small airport to go to a bigger airport to then fly internationally, um, it added like an extra $500 or more to the total price. So I wow. would say that the ticket itself from Denver to Japan was about $983, but the ticket from my small city over to Denver was probably $500 on its own. Wow. Yeah, and here's a bit of advice to anyone that's traveling that long or longer internationally, pay for the upgrade. Now, you can go coach, AKA cattle class, if you want to go and take that uh, steerage for your trip. But I recommend that you do not. Instead, don't pay, like if you have to make a connecting flight like I did, don't pay to upgrade the connecting flight because it's generally going to be short. But for the big, long international flight, spend the extra 200 bucks to upgrade to what's basically premium economy. Because if you fly the regular economy, you get like, 31 inches of legroom. If you upgrade Ooh. to the, the premium economy, you get like 39 inches of legroom and you get swivel chairs and you get swivel arms for your in-flight entertainment device. And you basically go from suffering to, yeah, this ain't bad. I'm having a nice time. Which were you in, NZ? I did not know this before taking my flight. So I went economy. And, um, yeah, so I was sandwiched between, like, I I didn't uh, get the window seat, even though I wanted the window seat, and I ended up sitting next to this one guy, and he's from Guam. He was in Denver because he's uh, a vet tech, and as a veterinary technician, he wants to go to the Denver conferences to stay up to date on all the latest technology. So even though Guam is part of America, he flew from Guam to Japan, and that was like three or four hours. And then he flew, flew from Japan to Denver to go to this conference for a few days, and then he flew back. And I assure you that even though it is not good to ascribe to, to prejudices or stereotypes, I will say that this particular Islander man was very big, and it did seem like it would have been better had he gone and bought two seats instead of one seat because he did spill quite a bit over and around the armrest and into my seating area. And so frequently his arm would be either like against my arm or over my arm or other parts of him were kind of spilling over. And so it made a hot and stuffy flight, which eventually cooled down thanks to the AC, but it did make it a little bit worse. Wow. But as I it turned out eventually we, fun. Yeah, well, eventually we got talking and he turned out to be a pretty nice guy. He gave me his business card, said if I was ever in Guam to go and visit him and say hello. Um, but uh, I would say that between him and the other guy that was on the other side of me who was sleeping most of the trip, 
it was quite the experience flying there. And I think that if, if you can afford to take a trip, you can afford the extra for the upgrade, at least if you're just going by yourself or two people. Like if it was five people, I don't think so, but I think that all in all, uh, you should make that choice. You definitely should make that choice. Um, so day two, uh, that would have been July 20th for me. I got my first Japanese hotel room. It actually uh, took two days to get to Japan, not because it took two real days, but because we passed the international timeline. Um, it seemed like it was two days. And unfortunately, in order to cut down on people's jet lag, they had the cabin darkened to this like twilight, dim blue light for almost the entire flight. And so I could never like read what I wanted to read and focus on the things because it was so dark that it's like it wasn't conducive, even if you were looking at a phone or a tablet. And then like every few hours, they would wake us up to feed us. And it's like, wait, you're trying to get everybody to like go to sleep or be in that sleep mode. And you keep waking us up to give us this food. And it's just, just why? <laughs> how how um, was the food on an international flight? It was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it, it did its job, but if you have special dietary requirements, some of the meals weren't all that great, and some of it, like, you would like, be like, okay, choose A or B, and you would choose one or the other, and then when you did, um, you would find that the food was spicy, or some of the times I found out that what I picked was something that didn't match my dietary requirements, and even if it did, the food was not very good. Now, I know that if I had paid for the Economy Plus upgrade to get the better seats, I wouldn't have gotten better food. And so I really wanted to improve that. But I brought a lot of snacks with me. But because I was caught first on the way there and then on the way back, so I couldn't easily get to my luggage, I couldn't easily get to my snacks either. And due to all the darn regulations by the American Transit Safety Authority, the TSA, you can't bring on more than two ounces of fluid with you. So you can totally forget about bringing bottles of water or bottles of tea or anything. So you're kind of at the mercy of the air, uh, the airplane, the flight to provide water or other things to drink because uh, you can't bring your own because it's a safety concern. Meanwhile, when I get to Japan, the security is totally different. And other than the things they have to agree to because of their alliance with America, it's like, yeah, go and show up to the gate just seconds before your flight's about to take off. Yeah, we're just going to wave you through real quick. Oh, you got to pay taxes on your customs? No, we think you're good. Go ahead. No worries. None of the take off your shoes so we can look through them and scan them as you go through the metal detectors. No, the security in Japan was like, paying for the premium deluxe of security instead of the cattle class that we get subjected to here in America. <laughs> like we're all, all criminals. It's just, you know, they haven't proven it yet. Um, but when I finally got to Japan, it was uh, in the evening. Uh, it took me a little while to go and get my uh, train stuff all sorted away, get my luggage and everything, and then figuring out the signs because some of the signs are written in English and Japanese, but not all of them. Eventually, though, I was able to find my way to the right place and find the right train and uh, take I think, it I think over right here, to... 
And I think right here we need to, to clarify for our audience, how much Japanese do you actually speak and actually can read? Good, good thing to mention, DV3. Um, I speak uh, or know about 300 Japanese words. I know the majority of the hiragana and the katakana, which are the, basically the alphabets of Japan. <laughs> the katakana is used for foreign words like hamburger, which in Japanese is hamburger, or uh, french fries, which in Japanese is fried potato. Um, and also tomato is tomato in Japanese. Um, and then there's the hiragana, which are used for Japanese native words. Uh, and I know most of both of those. Some characters I have more of a difficult time recognizing than others, especially with the katakana, because the hiragana have nice rounded shapes that are easier for my brain to memorize, whereas the katakana are more angular and uh, uh, more difficult for me to memorize, especially because a lot of them look like smiley faces. Like, you'll see sometimes, like, on Twitter and stuff, people using them instead of regular smiley faces because it'll be, like, two vertical lines and a swoop to the right or the left, and it totally looks like smiley faces. Sometimes it's just one vertical line and a swoop, but it still looks like an eye and a smiling mouth. So, you know. Um, and then I know some, some kanji. I know maybe 20 or 30 kanji, which are the, characters used for words that were originally part of Chinese. Um, and to go and be prepared for the trip, I also had a litany of apps installed on my phone and tablet. I had uh, Google Translate, which is very valuable. Um, and I had installed the offline translation pack, so you didn't need to have you know wireless or cellular uh -huh. access in order to use it. Um, I actually downloaded quite a few different apps and other useful things for the trip because um, some things uh, would require online, which wasn't the best choice, but other things would work offline. So through a combination of those, um, I was able to get around pretty well and get things done. Um, and also there's this channel on YouTube called Only in Japan. And um, it's ran by a guy that's lived in Tokyo for about 20 years now. And uh, recently he married a Japanese uh, wife. And so um, asking him for advice, I was able to get a lot of good recommendations. And so since I'm on the subject of it, I figured I'd go ahead and tell our listeners what uh, is good as far as websites and apps, because uh, while going and looking through my vacation photos and memories is a nice way of reminiscing and giving advice, uh, other people see it as boring as showing slides at a family reunion. So real quick, <laughs> the apps and websites I recommend, first, if you want to keep uh, in the know about weather in Japan, I recommend a website which is weather hyphen forecast.com or you know weather-forecast.com however you want to say it because they have really good weather information about tokyo uh they have nice uh symbols you can show on there uh you can switch it between different things so it's not just the temperature but the humidity and i assure you the humidity is terrible in tokyo in july and early august 
it is so super humid that your body will be sweating, but the sweat will not evaporate, so it will not help to cool you down. Um, another site that helps a lot with Japanese weather forecasts is uh, the Weather Underground at wunderground.com. That's uh, really good for uh, keeping up with the forecast, too. And Google Maps was pretty useful when I was in Japan for finding my way around, except apparently whoever makes Google Maps over at Google does not think the way that my brain thinks, because Google Maps would often give you directions like, in so many meters, turn left, or after you know, so many feet or whatever unit you have the distance set in, turn left, turn right, you'll notice, whatever. But the problem is my brain doesn't work that way. My brain works with um, not distances, but landmarks. And so the Google Maps would be really difficult for me to follow um, because, like, the only landmarks it would show is, like, parks and uh, stoplights and a few things like that. So what I ended up using more often was an app called Hyperdia. That's H-Y-P-E-R-D-I-A, and it can be found at hyperdia.com. And what's nice about that is not only will it give you walking directions from one place to another, it will give you timetables and train routes. So if you want to go from one city to another, it will find all of the trains that you need to take and the connections for them. Plus, you can use it to look up when not just that train will be there, but if you miss it, you can see what other trains you can take and have it rerouted. And if you put it in its offline mode, which could have been a little bit better, but, you know, it's better than nothing, um, you could actually use the compass features built into your phone or tablet in order to find your way around by using north, south, east, and west. So... The problem was, though, is oftentimes um, these things would not be in offline mode or I'd put them in offline mode, but they wouldn't have the right information. So guess what I eventually ended up doing? What's that? I ended up using the screenshot feature of my phone to take screenshots of each portion from the walking to the timetable to the train routes to the train switching so that way I just have it as a series of images stored on my phone so it would definitely work offline, no questions asked. <laughs> That's one way to do it, NZ. Yeah, yeah. So um, here's another great piece of advice. This I got from John Dobb over at the Only in Japan channel. And he told me that when you're looking for places, hotels and others to stay at, what you should do is first, um, find the hotels using uh, Google Maps or TripAdvisor or whatever, and then read the reviews on TripAdvisor because there's more reviews about the Japanese hotels on TripAdvisor than there is on Google Maps. Plus, Google tends to mix all of the languages in, so you might have a bunch of reviews, but they're all in Japanese, and then you can try to use the translator, but it's not quite as good. TripAdvisor had a lot of reviews of the hotels and places I was considering going including the things to watch out for and like little bits of advice. So that was pretty useful. Um, but, and here's the key thing he told me, don't actually book your hotels through TripAdvisor. Instead, go to a website called Jalan. That's J-A-L-A-N dot net. Because Jalan 
is actually a Japanese-run website, and it's the one that all of the businessmen and office workers use in order to book their uh, hotels because you get the best prices. And using Jalan, I was able to um, – I, I think I registered all or almost all of the hotels that I rented through Jalan, and that was a really valuable resource. Um, and another thing to keep in mind is to pre-install some apps. Now, uh, you could install things like the TripAdvisor app, uh, but I, I don't think you really need that. One that was really good and very useful to me um, – was Hyperdia. Now, uh, this was like that other one that I was mentioning earlier uh, when talking about what you should use on your trip to Japan, because um, much like these other ones, um, some of them are free, some of them you pay for them as a service, and Hyperdia was one of them. And I think it's like you can pay for one month at a time, or you can pay for three months at a time. And it was totally worth paying the price for Hyperdia because while you can um, use other ones, this will tell you the leaving time. It will tell you which city it leaves from and where it arrives. It tells you the departure track. Um, it tells you the type of train you were taking, like the bullet train and the name of the train, like the Kari 511. It'll tell you how much the fare will be. Um, it will let you even um, – use the reserve seating options and different things to see what you might want. And it provides links out to finding maps, hotels, rent-a-cars, and restaurants. So uh, that's just some of the features that it had. And one of the nice things is as a foreigner, as a visitor to Japan, you can get the Japan Rail Pass. And what the Japan Rail Pass is, is you pay in advance one flat amount. It's based upon how many weeks you're going to be in Japan. And it will let you ride the JR brand trains as much as you want without having to pay anything beyond what the cost of that pass was. So that was oh, really wow. useful because... I can uh, imagine how convenient that would be. Yeah, well, it was convenient and it was inconvenient. The convenient part was if you, um, you know, took an exit that was too early, you, you picked the wrong station, you could ride another station or two to get to the right one, or maybe you went too far and you could ride a train in the opposite direction. And it was really great for that. The bad part of it was you were specifically limited to trains and subways and buses that were ran by Japan Rail. Japan Rail is one company among many, many different Japanese companies that operate trains, buses, and subways. And so if you wanted to ride something else, then you would have to pay for tickets, which meant you'd have to use the ticket dispensing machines. And that was like a whole nother thing. So for a long time, I tried to avoid writing anything else because I already had this expense pass. There was a few hundred dollars. And the nice thing is with Hyperdia, you could actually say, hey, I have the Japan Rail Pass. So only show me the trains that are included with the Japan Rail Pass. So that was a really useful feature. Um, now, there's some other ones you might want to consider. There's Navitime for Japan. Um, I didn't use the one called Jorudan. Um, I did use Google Maps and Google Translate quite a bit. Those were pretty useful. Um, 
then there's like other kind of silly things like there's a sushi dictionary but that really is only applicable if you're going to a sushi restaurant or you're planning to order sushi at some place that serves it i think more useful though is the official japan app which you can load onto your smartphone or your tablet or whatever because it uh, will show you where nearby wi-fi hotspots are and it will automatically log you in to partner Wi-Fi hotspots, so you don't have to go through the registration portal. See, here in America, right, if you go to a hotel or whatever, it'll usually redirect you to the portal page. They'll throw up, like, some links or directly show the terms of service. You go to the bottom and you click the I agree button, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, apparently the Japanese companies haven't caught on that this is what people prefer because instead, not only does it show you all of that, but it shows you a form where you're supposed to type your name in and your email address every time. And so it gets very annoying because in Japan, as a foreigner, you can't have a Japanese phone number and you can't have Japanese phone service. So you've either got to prearrange for service while you're in Japan through your American provider or wherever you're from, or you have to use Wi-Fi only. And let me tell you, it was a huge impediment being offline in the Google Translator being like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you in advance, but I can't translate the spoken word in offline mode, and I can't translate images offline, just things that are written down. Oh, great. Sure, all the fancy features don't work when you're offline. So that was a bit of a problem. But uh, DB3, you only got a few more minutes here. So uh, I would I say I would, I would say before I would say what I I would ask you what our what our our listeners probably want to hear is what would be what were your two favorite things and what would you suggest like what would be your main recommendation I mean you've recommended all these apps what would what would be something that maybe not an app or something like that but what would be a recommendation for someone who's going to go to Japan would be so what are your two favorite right. things and what was your number one recommendation for them. I would say that my favorite things were just the uh, – I, I, I was dealing with a lot of technical problems, um, which would take way too long to explain. But a lot of days I was just messing around with that. And when I got to Tokyo, I didn't realize that Tokyo is only about three meters above sea level. And so it's extremely hot and humid during the summer. So my recommendations would be if you're going to go, go – sometime between September and June. Don't go between June and August, including those months, because it's going to be too hot and humid most of the time. Uh, plus, if you go during the off-season, uh, the prices will be lower, especially in the fall and the winter time. But that's a really great time to go to Japan, because not only are the prices lower, but um, if you're going to the southern parts of Japan, they're subtropical, like Okinawa, and so you can escape all the cold and all the ice that's trapped you in the American Midwest or the Rocky Mountains or wherever you are and go and have a tropical holiday in the middle of the winter while still in the Northern Hemisphere and visiting Japan. Um, 
Another thing I'd recommend people pick up, uh, like whether it's a, an e-book or a real book or uh, some web pages, read up a little bit about etiquette. You can get by with just a few words as long as you've got some good body language, like politely bowing to everyone and saying things like, you know, uh, arigato or domo arigato. And you can use domo both for thank you and you're welcome. So that's pretty useful. Or say dozo as a way of just like saying, oh, you go ahead. It's okay. Um, be sure to take your shoes off whenever you're entering uh, most buildings that aren't a business. Um, you can get some really nice hotel rooms inexpensively depending on where you look. Uh, if you book in advance, that's how you get the best prices. Um, the people and staff are very accommodating, and you'll even get these little wet towels to help wipe off all the sweat when you get there. Um, be sure if you have any dietary or health restrictions, like maybe you're lactose intolerant, to take your pills or whatever medicine it is in dry form that way you don't have to worry about tsa uh restrictions and you'll be able to eat things because i assure you of the following two things one japanese cooking might traditionally not use dairy but modern japanese cooking will use milk and cream and whipped cream and all sorts of things in all sorts of ways and two Oftentimes, you'll see something that looks like it's going to be whipped cream, but it's actually margarine because Japanese like to use margarine when they're, like, making food. And another thing, learn how to use the remote controls for the air conditioners. A lot of times, things will be in both English and Japanese with signs, especially in the bigger cities. But the farther away you get from the major cities, the less signs are going to be in English. And... Almost none of the remotes for the air conditioners are in English. So do a quick web search, and you can find a guide for how to use those things, and it is a lifesaver. Um, and other than that, be sure to take some pictures while you're there. Even your smartphone's good. If you get a chance, maybe check out some of the Japanese TV just to see how similar it is to American TV, but also the ways in which it's just different. There is also a... One, a lot of bugs in Japan. Two, they can be very, very big. And three, do not be surprised if they are actually within the building or the hotel and the staff doesn't have a problem with it because Japanese people love bugs, including collecting them and keeping them as pets. So you might find a lot of bugs. So keep that in mind. And there can be massive amounts of spider webs in the high up corners of some of those rural train stations too so if you're a little squeamish about the bugs keep that in mind and uh finally be open-minded try things that are a bit different than you're used to um if you're in the big cities see maybe about going out to the rural parts seeing the villages and the mountains uh if you can get higher up and further away from tokyo it'll drastically cut down on the humidity like when i went out to this village called saint village and, uh, you know, even if sometimes you might be intimidated by the language differences or the cultural differences, sometimes it's better just to dive in with both feet because people are going to recognize that by your appearance, you are a foreigner. You're not going to know all the language and you're not going to know the customs and what's cool and what's not cool. And for the most part, they're going to keep this in mind and be tolerant and help you along the way and guide you to the right path. 
And finally, don't be afraid to ask strangers for help because sometimes just a little bravery and talking to others will be enough to go and get you to where you're able to save yourself like two hours of effort just because you took the time to talk to someone. And you might be surprised because they might know only a little English, but they'll find someone that knows more. And sometimes you'll find someone that's shockingly fluent in English, and it'll be quite the surprise. And finally, my, my final recommendation, since you asked DB3, is if you go to Japan, try to go to the arcades, try to go to the amusement centers. They call them game centers. And while the quality can vary quite a bit, one that I do recommend is called Round One. Their signs will say Sports Entertainment Round One. And it was a five-story arcade, which had karaoke, it had claw machines, it had billiards, it had darts. And get this, the top floors are where they have the bowling. Wow. Yeah. And what's really great is, unfortunately, the Japanese laws to try to discourage people from being, um, was that uh, delinquent is that they have to shut down the sections with the arcade games once it gets to be like 8 o'clock on the weekdays or 10 o'clock on the weekends. But the other floors for things like darts and bowling, they're open 24 hours a day. So that is the place to go if you have insomnia or whatever reason that you're up late at night. Uh, Those are just really great. So seek out round one. And um, extra bit of advice, The convenience stores are awesome, and the 100 yen shops are awesome because the 100 yen shops are the equivalent of our dollar stores, except the stuff in there is really, really good and a lot better quality than a lot of the stuff that you'll find in the American dollar stores. Um, So I I guess since we've got to deal with a bit of a time limit today, that's more or less uh, all that we've got time to talk about my trip this time. Um, but, uh, any parting questions, DB3, before we wrap up this segment? Um, no, I think I asked my questions. Mine were probably dealt with the same sort of things that our audience would be interested in. Um, all right. Well, in that case, I will say that, uh, as I had quote unquote wasted a lot of time fighting the technical problems I had with my, my phone trying to get the cellular to work through T-Mobile because I had changed the software that was installed on the phone. I will say that probably the best day I had was when I went to Country Farm Tokyo German Village. That's its, that's its actual name because it is a, an amusement park that's themed after uh, German Village. And hilariously enough, none of the people there actually spoke German, even though there was a lot of signs written in German. So that was pretty funny. And not too good. far away, uh, the, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't drive over there. But at one point, there was a, and another amusement park themed after the Heidi books, the, the, the old European story about the goat girl named Heidi. Yeah, so I definitely would have stopped over there if there had been the time. But I was only there for three weeks, and so there's only so much you can see and do, which I guess is a good bit of advice is try to see as much as you can, but also remember to take about half the time to chill out, relax, and take things slow so that you don't overwhelm yourself or just go through so many things that you don't have time to take a breather. 
So Sounds I like think good... uh, with go ahead, DB three. I was just gonna say thanks for those words of advice. Sounds like we everyone could use them when they go over. Yeah, well, you know, we only had about two hours to record the show, and we started with about half an hour of technical difficulties before falling to our fallback. But I think that that's uh, the good distilled, um, tasty advice for how to go and take care of things if you're taking the trip. At least it's good enough to get you started. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of another episode of ASO Radio. This is episode number 132. And I was very glad that all of you could have joined us, including, of course, my co-host and friend, DB3. I, too, would like to thank you all for listening, because, as so famously we've said before, the fans do make the show. It's all been a great pleasure. Yes, indeed, the fans do make the show, for not only are we the hosts and co-hosts of ASO Radio, fans of Japanese anime, manga, video games, light novels, visual novels, and all of that other pop culture stuff, uh, as well as traditional culture at times. But we also make the show as fans, and we make it for the fans. So I'm very glad that we were able to record this 20th anniversary episode of ASO Radio, and here's hoping that we record many more episodes of ASO Radio. So, for ASO Radio, this is NZ17 and DB3 signing out. Good night and good luck, my fellow otaku. <laughs>